Today we resume our sermon series on the church, and I will start by asking, what about the church today? So what about the church today? How do we actually see the church today? Maybe a, maybe a better question is, how do we hold the church today? You see, our spoken answers may not necessarily line up with our practical, our lived out answers. How do we, how do you hold the church today? Is it a vital part of your Christian walk? Is it an integral part of your Christian faith? Is it a necessary piece of your life following Jesus as you endeavor to follow Jesus Christ? Or is it something else? How do you hold the church today? Do you see it as irrelevant? Something that's not needed or not that necessary. Something that's really not that impactful in the scope of your life. There's other things more impactful. Do you see it as inconvenient? Something that is a duty and something that is a struggle or something that is inconvenient to to include in the day-to-day issues of your life. Is the church inconvenient to you? Is the church to you insignificant? like some accessory that you try to tack on to the rest of your life. And if if it fits and it happens to fit and nothing else competes against it, that you can take it or really most of the time you can just leave it. Is the church insignificant to you? How do you hold the church today? That is our question. Let me say today, the church is suffering today. And I'm talking about the church as a whole, the universal church. The church is suffering today. And therefore, notice the impact the world is suffering. Therefore, the, the spread of the movement of the gospel of Jesus Christ is suffering. Because a whole lot of people see the church, hold the church incorrectly today. Friend, be very sure how we see the church, how we hold the church as followers of Jesus Christ absolutely matters. Sometimes we act like, well, I've got my faith with Jesus Christ and I've got that settled and so the church is not that big of a deal. Listen, how you hold the church as a follower of Jesus Christ absolutely does matter. Man, my prayer is that we would in this study see through the lens of God's word the truth about the church of Jesus Christ and and in doing so that we would rise up and we would be the church that he's called us to be. Folks, does that strike a chord with you? Wouldn't you like to be part of something great? Wouldn't you like to be part of something that matters? Wouldn't you like to be a, a, a part of a body of believers where Jesus is known and where lives are changed and where eternities are changed and the, the name of Jesus Christ is exalted? Wouldn't you like to be a part of something like that? Our sermon series is entitled, It's Still the Church. In this sermon series, we are looking at Jesus' messages to the seven churches there in Revelation. And in doing so, our Lord himself is instructing us as we navigate as his church. Now, our message today is the second part to the introduction. I didn't get done last week. It's the the second part to the introduction. It is entitled, A Letter of Reminder. A Letter 
of reminder. We're in Revelation chapter 1, verses 9 through 20. We read those last week. We'll read those again. We'll finish up this section. A letter of reminder. Revelation chapter 1, verses 9 through 20. I would ask if you would, if you would stand with me in the honor and the reverence and the celebration of the reading of the Word of God. It says this. I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance which are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet saying, write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like a son of man, clothed in a robe reaching to the feet, and girded across his chest with a golden sash. His head and his hair were white, like white wool, like snow. And his eyes were a flame of fire. And his feet were like burnished bronze when it has been made to glow in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. And out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in its strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. And he placed his right hand on me saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. And I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and of Hades. Therefore, write the things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which will take place after these things. As for the mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come today, we're thankful for you. We're thankful for the call of the gospel of Jesus Christ that we would simply come home. We're thankful that provision has been made for us as sinners through the cross of Calvary. We can be forgiven. I'm thankful for the truth of your word, the good news from Genesis to Revelation, the truth of a Savior come for sinful people. I pray now as we begin to study your word today, I pray that we would grow in our knowledge of you, that we would be instructed today, that we would hear from you today, we would be shaped and changed today as your people. Lord, I pray for some in this room that do not know you. I pray that in the preaching of the gospel, in the picture of Jesus, today they might put their faith in Jesus. Lord, move in their hearts. Lord, I pray now as we begin to study that you would open our ears and our eyes and our hearts and you would truly lead. We, we open our hands. We give this to you as an act of worship. We love you, Lord. We praise you. We worship you. And in Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. Now, if you remember last week, I began by saying that we need a bunch of re's in the church today, kind of a goofy thing. We need a bunch of re's in the church today. I believe we need a revival in the church today. We need a powerful movement of God in the church today. 
We need a renewal in the church today. We need an awakening, a, a new life to spring up in the church. We need renewal in the church today. We need a resurgence in the church today. We need, we need a powerful and strong movement of the truth of God's gospel going out. We need a resurgence to occur in the church today. And all of that, I believe, is going to come by a returning in the church today, a returning to the word of God, that we would uphold the truth of God's word, a returning in the church to the word of God. Last week from our verses, we started on four things that the church is going to need to be for that to happen. We want a resurgence, yes. We want a renewal and a revival, yes. Four things that the church is going to need to be for that to happen. Four things the church is going to have to be to be a beacon of the gospel in these dark days. The first thing we saw is this. The church in verse 9 is going to have to be realistic. The church is going to have to be realistic. We have to be very clear today, and I'm going to tell you it's, it's very pertinent. We have to be very clear that in embracing the Word of God and upholding and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are going to exist in opposition to the world. Now, some of us don't have a stomach for that. Some of us want the opposite to happen. Some of us want to be accepted by the world, but we have to be realistic today. That is our reality. When you uphold the word of God, when you uphold the gospel of Jesus Christ, you're going to exist in opposition to the world in which we live. That's the reality. John said that believers, we as believers, we hold these three things in common. We hold, we're fellow partakers, he says, in tribulation. That means great troubles. He says, in the kingdom, in the things of the kingdom of God. And he says, in perseverance, which means we're going to remain under the trouble. We have to persevere in trouble. That's what we hold as Christians. Yes, we have the things of the kingdom. Yes, we have eternal life. But existing in opposition to the world, we have to persevere in trouble. As followers of Christ, our reality is we will not be affirmed in this effort. We will not be esteemed in this endeavor. In fact, Christ says that the world will absolutely hate us. And so we see this from last week. If we're not realistic in this, if we're not truthful in this expectation, when it occurs, we're going to be caught off guard. Listen, as people that stand on the word of God and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have to be realistic. Second thing, from the same verse, we have to be resolved. We have to be resolved. If we're ever going to do what he's called us to do, as a church, as Christians, we have to be resolved. Listen to verse 9 again. I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance which are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. In verse 9, we find that John is on the prison island, Patmos. He is enduring hardship there. He is under the watch of a Roman guard there. There is severe hardship going on on this island. The Bible says he is on this prison island because of the word of God 
and the testimony of Jesus. Now understand this. Here is this old man. Most likely he's almost 90 years old if he's not 90 years old here. And he is on this island, a prison island, and he is suffering because he was resolved to preach and to teach the word of God and to put out the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is on this island and he is suffering here in his old age because he was resolved and he did not shrink back. Just this week, I was talking to several different people in several different settings and I heard of the growing hatred, let me just tell you, absolute hatred for the word of God today in our world, today in our culture. Not only that, the the growing acceptance, the growing embracing of the lies of the world. And you can watch the news, you can look around today. There is a growing hatred for the word of God and there is, maybe more scary, is is a growing acceptance of the wicked lies of the world. Be sure today in our culture in the name of political correctness and tolerance and now inclusiveness, the word of God and the truth of Jesus Christ is deemed as bigoted. It is, it is called hate speech. It is seen as, as utter ignorance. To, to follow the word of God is utterly ignorant in the world's eyes today. I believe it is not long. Listen, church. It is not long until it will not only be unacceptable, but I think it's not long until it's not going to be allowable to stand on the truth of God's word and to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is an avalanche coming in our world. To be the church today, to be be a beacon of the good news, listen, we're going to have to be realistic, yes, but more than that, like John here, we're going to have to be resolved that we're going to uphold God's word and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. That brings us to our our step today, and that is this, the third thing. We're going to have to be realistic. We're going to have to be resolved. The third thing is this. We have to be reminded of our purpose. We have to be reminded of our purpose. Let's look at our verses. John is on the prison island, Patmos, verse 10 now. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet. Now, I want to point out two things here as we move through this verse. Two things. First, it says he was in the spirit. In the spirit, the Greek word for in means with or within. Now, what this means is He is in fellowship with the Holy Spirit of God. He is in agreement with the Holy Spirit of God who lives inside of him. So we find him here, and he is led by the Spirit. He is, is, the Bible says, in the Spirit, and as a man, he is seeking God. He is seeking to worship God. Today, there are some that distort this. And they would say, to be in the Spirit is a mindless state or it is an unconscious state or, or it be some sort of chaotic state that you're not of yourself any longer but, but now you're found in the spirit. No, see this. He is mindful. 
He is aware. He is observing. In fact, Jesus tells him, observe. See what's happening. Write it down. He is not out of his mind, but rather he is using his mind. He is not unconscious. Rather, he is very conscious of what he's doing. Listen, that is true worship. You deliberately enter into it. You use your mind to worship God. He is in the spirit, worshiping God. Second thing is this. This day that he was seeking God, that he was being led by the Spirit of God to worship, is the Lord's day. Now, I passed over that pretty quickly, and then I just thought of something. It's possessive. This is in God's Word. It's possessive. It was in the Lord's day that he was in the Spirit and he was worshiping. It was in the Lord's day that this occurs. It was the Lord's day. Now, we know this is the first day of the week. We know this is our Sunday. Now, listen, we can worship on any day, and we should. We can worship every day, and we should. But look here, he calls it, the Bible calls it, the Lord's day. I want you to notice this. In the church, here by the time that he's on this prison island, they had set the first day of the week aside, the, the, the Sunday, the first day of the week, to worship the risen Savior. They dedicated to him. In fact, they said this day is going to be the Lord's day. Where in Judaism, Jewishness, they rested and they observed the Sabbath. Now as Christians, they worship and they celebrate Jesus on Sunday, the Lord's day, the day given over for the worship of the Lord. Now listen, I'm gonna sound like an old school preacher here. I want to worship Jesus in all hours. I want to worship Jesus every hour. In fact, I want the pattern of my life to be in the worship of Jesus Christ. And whether you find me on Tuesday or you find me on Thursday, whether you find me in the evening or find me in the morning, I want the pattern, the outflow of my life to be worship of Jesus. But I love that in this dark, distracted, dysfunctional world, there is a day set aside for the worship of our risen Savior, the Messiah, our King, Jesus, and it's called the Lord's Day. Now, I'm gonna risk sounding like a nut job here. Maybe too late. But let me just tell you this. I think it's a ploy of the world to steal that away from us. You see, the church recognized a day that we set aside to, to celebrate a risen Savior. John says it was on this day that, that this event happened. I think it is a ploy of the world to steal us to steal that away from us. Here's the day where we celebrate Jesus. Here's the day that we've set aside to worship Him. And the world says, you know what? I'll take that day. People come along, and I hear it all the time. And they say, well, that's my day to rest. Well, that's my day to catch up, to get some things done. That's my day to unwind. That's my family time. Brother, let me tell you something. You can rest, and you can unwind, and you can catch up on a bunch of stuff. But listen to me. I would rather celebrate Jesus Christ with the people of Jesus on the day we've set aside to worship our Savior, Jesus. Verse 10, 
And I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard from behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet. Verse 11, saying, write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Now, the entire book of Revelation was written to these seven churches. These are seven actual churches, seven literal, historical, local churches. These were actual churches. Now, there is a lot there that, that you could look at, that you could break out of this, but these are seven historical churches. Now, the number seven is the number of completion or the number of perfection. And I know this is talking to these seven literal churches, historical churches, and I know it's talking into a situation that's going on there, but I also believe in this number is representative of the fact that these are representing all churches in the church age. And so while this is a letter to the seven churches, I believe it's also a letter to all churches in the church age. Verse 12. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. I, I turned to see the voice and I saw seven golden lampstands. Jump down to verse 20. Jesus is speaking. He says this. As for the mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. We're going to talk about that next week. And the seven lampstands are the seven churches. In verse 20, Jesus explains the scene himself. He says, as to the mystery, you're wondering, well, what, what, is the, what are the lampstands? What are they representing? Who are these angels in your hand? Well, Jesus says he's going to answer the mystery. He's going to tell us who they are. He says, the seven golden lampstands are the seven churches. John sees seven golden lampstands and Jesus says the lampstands are the churches. Now stay with me. In this time, the lampstand was the most common source of light for a home, for a house. It was not a candle. It was not a, some fire. It was not a torch. It was a lampstand. The lampstand was the most common way to, to light, to illumine your house. Most of them, in fact, almost all of them were made out of pottery. They were fashioned like some sort of bowl. There's different shapes uh, for the lampstands, but they were like some sort of bowl. Some of them were very small. Some of them were also very large, very big. They would be filled with oil. Most of the time in this region, they would have been filled with olive oil and they would have a wick that would go through the bowl and come out of the bowl. They would burn it to spread, to have light. Understand, the purpose of the lampstand was to illuminate, to illumine the darkness. The purpose of the lampstand, the way they designed it, was to give off as much light as possible. The, the lampstand, it would be designed and it would be placed so as to give off as much light as possible. Now hear that again. Here's this lampstand. Most of them are made out of pottery. It will be designed and it will be placed so as to give off as much light as possible. 
And this is how Jesus describes the church. And in describing the church in this manner, he is telling to us the purpose of the church. Now, listen to me this morning. Understand this morning how we hold the church, how we see the church absolutely matters. And so we need to be very clear today. The purpose of the church, the function of the church, the reason for the church, listen to me, is not to make you happy. The purpose of the church is not to add value to the community. The purpose of the church is not to change and to remedy injustice that's going on out there in the culture. The purpose of the church is not to serve as a source of of benevolence or charity. Listen, the purpose of the church is to shine the light into a dark world that is getting darker. Friends, just as the lampstand was designed and placed so to illumine the darkness, listen, the church of our Lord Jesus Christ has been so designed and it has been so placed as to shine a light in the darkness. Silliest thing. All the time these days, people are trying to reinvent this. People are trying to to reshape this. I've told you this several times. I've seen surveys of a church that'll, that'll survey the church and say, what kind of church do we want to be? And they'll survey the membership. Heard about a couple of them not that far away and they, they were getting a new preacher and while they were in the interim time looking for a preacher, they surveyed the community and said, what kind of church do you want there in your community? Folks, listen to me. Jesus makes it plain when he says, The churches are the lampstands. And so if the lampstands aren't being the lampstands, listen, there is a shortage in the shining of light. That's how big it is. Oh, look at our world. Look at our government. Look at our homes. Look at our marriages. Look at the sin that's rampant today. If there's a shortage in the light, it's because there's a malfunction in the lampstand. Be very clear today. The hope for our world today Man, if you watch the news, it looks pretty hopeless. The hope for our nation today, the hope for America today, the hope for the kids that we're raising today, the hope for our marriages today, the hope for people who are walking blindly and dumbly and happily into the truth and the reality of hell is for the church to be the church and for the lampstands to be the lampstand. It's time for the church to be the church. Oh, look at the despair. Look at the darkness. Listen, we need the church. It's still the church. How are we ever going to overcome this? Listen, the light always overcomes the darkness. We need a lampstand. We need the church. It's still the church. Now see this. He calls them golden lampstands. Most of them are made out of pottery. Most of them are made out of clay. But to these churches, Jesus gives the highest value. Lampstands of gold. Oh, listen to me. We need the church to be the church. 
People are hurting and people are suffering. It's, it's terrible. We need the church to be the church. The most valuable thing is that the church, the lampstand of gold, would shine the light of Jesus Christ. Oh, the church would be the church. And so we see here the third thing. We have to be reminded of our purpose. Listen, Calvary Baptist Church, we have to be reminded of our purpose. We have to be reminded of our purpose. Our purpose is to shine the light of the good news of Jesus Christ. That is why we exist. We've been so designed and so placed to spread the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have to be reminded of our purpose. Fourth thing is this. We have to be realistic. We have to be resolved in these days for sure. We have to be reminded. Here's the last one. We have to be refocused. Now get ready, this is the best one. In the church, our focus is Jesus. In the church, our focus is Jesus. He is our focus. The world is not our focus. We are not the focus. Jesus is the focus. Now, we're going to look at the verses here in just a second, but hear this today. In the New Testament church, our focus is not on our preferences. Our focus is not on our programs. Our focus is not on the past. Our focus is not on our buildings. Our focus is not on the pastor. Our focus is not on the people, those who make up the church. Listen, I'm not the focus of the church. You're not the focus of the church. In the New Testament church, Jesus Christ is the focus and the center of our church. Jesus is the head of the church. Amen. Jesus is the Lord of the church. Jesus is the church's one foundation, the, the cornerstone, the rock upon what it's built. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus is the foundation. Jesus is the savior of the church. Jesus is the message of the church. If we preach a message, the message is Jesus. Jesus is the truth of the church. And one day, Jesus is coming again for his church. And so Jesus is the focus of the church. How great, let me say this right quick. If you find a church and the focus is anything but Jesus, you got a false church. And I don't care what their title is and I don't care what their past is. If you find a church and their, their focus is anything but our Savior, Jesus Christ, and you can go through their doors and you can hear a lot of stuff but never hear about Jesus Christ and you can exalt a lot of things but never exalt Jesus Christ, you found a false church and a false movement. Jesus is the focus of the church. Well, how great if we understand Jesus is the focus of the church, how great that we're going to get a picture of Jesus here in our verses. In fact, all the way through the book of Revelation, we see some tremendous Awesome pictures of Jesus. We go through the next seven weeks, we're going to see some awesome descriptions of Jesus. Well, how awesome is it that if Jesus is the focus of the church, that we're going to see a picture of Jesus? If nothing else today, 
In fact, if nothing else from Calvary Baptist Church and nothing else from my ministry ever comes to fruition, let us see Jesus. You see, if we could but see Jesus, a lot of this other stuff would fall away. I believe that. If we could see Jesus, a lot of this other stuff that we're worried about, a lot of this stuff that has us down, if we could, if we could just see Jesus, a lot of that stuff would take care of itself. And a lot of the things that are going on in our homes, if we could just see Jesus, a lot of those things would get right. A lot of things that are going on in our town, if we could just see Jesus in Vernon, Texas, those things would get right. I want to tell you, a lot of things would change if we could just see Jesus. Well, how awesome in our verses today. John describes Jesus, and then Jesus describes himself. You want to see Jesus? Fasten your seatbelt. Here we go. Listen to verse 12. And then I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. Verse 13. And in the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like a son of man, clothed in a robe reaching to the feet and girded across his chest with a golden sash. His head and his hair were white, like white wool, like snow. And his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze when it has been made to glow in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of many waters. Verse 16, in his right hand he held his seven stars and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword and his face was like the sun shining in its strength. Now see John's description here. He starts off and he says he saw one there in the midst of the lampstands, one that was like a son of man. Son of man is a term that Jesus used most to describe himself. We found that as we've studied the gospel of Luke. When Jesus referred to himself, the way he did it the most was by using the term the son of man. In Daniel chapter seven, verse 13, it says, and one like a son of man comes to the ancient of days and presents himself. Understand this, the title is referring to the Messiah. It's not, it's not ambiguous, it's clear here. The title is referring to the Messiah. This was the name given to the Christ, the anointed Savior from God. God's gonna send an anointed Savior, a promised Messiah, the Christ. See the picture here in the middle of the churches, right smack in the middle of the churches, there is the Messiah. There he is, there's the Messiah, and he stands in the middle of the churches. It says, clothed, in a robe that reached to his feet. This is not an ordinary robe. This is not a common robe. This is a robe that goes to the floor, that spills there onto the floor. This was a robe that signified majesty. This was a robe going all the way to the floor that would, that would signify royalty. And so here is the Messiah and he stands in the midst of the churches and he's dressed as a king. His clothing is fitting for the king of kings and lord of lords. The Bible says he has a golden sash girded across his chest. Now be sure, not as a belt, but as a sash. Exodus chapter 28, verse four. For the dress of the high priest, it says this. Make these garments to consecrate him, to set him apart. A breast piece, an ephod, 
a robe, a tunic of checkered work, a turban, and a sash. In Hebrews, it says that Jesus is the perfect high priest. It says he's the high priest that ushers in a better covenant. And so see the picture today. Here he stands, and he stands as the king, and he's dressed in majesty, and he's dressed in royalty, but he also has the sash. He's the high priest bringing a better covenant. Oh, listen to me. If we could just see Jesus today, oh, if we could catch a glimpse of Jesus. It says his head and his hair were white like wool, That's not white enough. It says like snow. His hair and his head were white like wool, like snow. White is a sign of absolute purity. It's also a sign of truth. And so here he stands, pure and pristine in the truth. In the Gospel of John, Jesus says of himself, I am the truth. And so here he stands, and he is the Messiah, and he's dressed as royalty, and he has the sash of a high priest bringing a better covenant. And now he stands, and he's the beacon of the truth, pristine, it's the truth. Oh, if we can see Jesus today. It goes on, it says, his eyes are like a flame of fire. It means this, his eyes are clear to judge. Just like a fire cleans away, clears away the impurities, his eyes see through the faults. You see, a human judge is shaped by perception. A human judge has his own own perceptions to go by, but but Jesus comes and his eyes see through the faults. They see through the fake. They see through the posturing of humans and he sees to the heart. And when he judges, he judges in clarity. He judges in purity and in complete justice with clarity in his eyes, Jesus stands as the righteous judge. Oh, if we could just see Jesus today. Can you picture him? Here he stands. He is in the midst of the churches and he stands as the Messiah. Here he stands and he's dressed in royalty. He's the king of all the kings. Here he is and he has a sash. He's the high priest bringing a better covenant secured in his own blood. Here he is and his hair and his head is white, pure in truth. Here he is and his eyes are like fire and he judges in clarity. Says this, his feet are like burnished bronze. Burnished means glowing, heated up, like you were to heat it up in the smelter's pot. And the bronze is now glowing. Bronze was a demonstration of strength. He's not there in timidity. He's not there, there's no weakness. He stands and his feet are like bronze that are glowing, like burnished bronze. It says his voice was like many rushing waters. Powerful. You ever sit by a waterfall sometime and hear the, hear the waters that goes roaring by, overtaking, drowning out everything else, and it gets louder, and all you hear is the, the voice. That's his voice. Can you imagine the voice of the Messiah, the voice of Jesus? When he talks, it's drowning out everything else. It says out of his mouth, came a two-edged sword. He is God. 
Hebrews says the word of God, the words proceeding out of God, the word of God is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates and it judges thoughts and even the intentions of the heart. Oh, listen to me. That's our Lord. His word divides. His word penetrates. His word cuts out and reveals the heart. He can see our hearts today. Oh, if we could just see Jesus. Listen, he's not misled today. He's not fooled today. He can see to the core of your heart. Then it says this. His face was like the sun, shining in its strength. See this picture. See the magnitude of this picture. See the profoundness of this picture. You see, John once saw him as he walked the streets of dirt. John once saw him as he fished and as he slept in a boat. John saw him once as he taught in the temple's courtyard. John once saw him as he was taken from a garden. He was snatched up and then he was beaten and he was nailed to the cross. John saw that. John saw him as a friend who was entrusted with the care of his mother. John even saw him resurrected. But now on this event, now on the Lord's day, John, who's there on this prison island. John, who is hurting in his heart. John, who, who, who has to feel despair. John, whose friends have all died and have all passed away. And there he is and alone. There John stands. And it's a hard time for John. And it's a hard time for the church of Jesus Christ. And then he turns behind him and he sees the exalted Messiah. He sees the royal king. He sees the high priest of a better covenant. He sees the very truth himself, the word of God. And he sees his power. And to look into his face is like you're looking into the sun at noonday. And John is overcome and he's overwhelmed. And the Bible says he falls on the ground like he was dead. Oh, if we could see Jesus like that. John falls on the ground. His king, his Lord, his friend, he falls on the ground. Jesus now continues the description. Listen to verses 17 and 18. When I saw him, I felt his feet like a dead man. And he placed his right hand on me saying, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. And I was dead and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. Think about this. John recites what he looks like. But now Jesus tells us who he is. John saw him there and gave us a description of what he looked like that day, but Jesus now tells us who he is. Jesus says this, he is the first and the last. Jesus standing there says, I am the first and the last. 
It means he is the eternal one. It means he's everlasting. He stands there and says, everything you know, everything you've ever seen has had a beginning and an end, but I am everlasting from everlasting to everlasting. Every false God had a beginning. Every false God has passed away. These things have risen. These things have declined, but I am everlasting. He says, I am the one who was and is and who is to come. Remember the story when Moses asked, who shall I tell him is sending me? He says, tell him that I am has sent you, the one that's dependent on no one, the eternal one. Jesus says here, I am that one. I am everlasting. I am eternal. You're standing in the presence of the eternal one. More than that, Jesus says, I'm the living one. Tremendous. I'm the living one. He says, I was dead. Listen to this. In the Greek, the original language, it translates, I'm the living one. I became dead. And behold, I'm alive forevermore. Listen, that's the gospel. I am the living one. Behold, I became dead and now I am alive forevermore. Jesus says here, the God who has always been, the God who is eternal, the God who has no, should have no part of death, he took on flesh and as the God man, he died and he died on a cross and he died for sin and he died for sinners and the mystery of mysteries is that God himself in the person of Jesus Christ, he died, he said I became dead but he says look at me now, behold I am alive and not only that, I'm alive forevermore. Jesus says here, the promised Messiah, the reigning king, the priest that is perfect and brings a new covenant, the one who humbled himself and became a bondservant, who humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross, the one that they pulled off a grave, off a cross, the one that they put in a tomb, and he said, he became dead, I'm alive, and nevermore will I be subjected to death, nevermore will I be in a grave, and I am forever alive. Oh, if we could see Jesus. So here he stands. Here he stands. Eternal, everlasting. The one who became dead, forever alive. And he says this. Because of that, he has the keys to death. And Hades. You know, our biggest problem is sin. You know, sin brings death. And I'm pretty sure we've gotten where we're not too scared of sin anymore. And we've gotten where we can gloss over sin these days. But I want to tell you something we're still terrified of death. You see, we can be our own master, but in death, the Bible says we'll meet a righteous judge and he's not going to believe the lies, he's going to see with the eyes of fire. His word is going to divide the truth, and on that day, we will be judged. It's appointed for man once to die, and then his judgment. But Jesus says this in the grace of the cross of Calvary and the risen Savior Jesus, we need not fear death. 
I've unlocked them. What if we really saw Jesus that way? What if, what if we really understood Jesus that way? What if as the church we understood that's the Lord, that's our focus? What if we really saw Jesus that way? What, what wouldn't we do? What if we really saw Jesus that way? Listen to me. That's him. That's him. That is our Savior. May we be just as astounded, just as impressed. This is our Savior. Let's pray. Dear Father, we come today and I'm astounded that your grace and your mercy and your love shown to me as a sinner through the cross of Calvary. I'm astounded by my salvation. I'm astounded by really a, a steadfast and everlasting love. Does it make sense? I'm, I'm astounded by your willingness to forgive and be kind. But most of all on this day, I'm astounded by Jesus Christ who was always those things. And yet who humbled himself and as the God-man died when he need not ever experience death, who was beaten in my place and took my penalty and redeemed me and purchased me back. Lord, I pray that I would keep my eyes upon Jesus Christ. I pray that we as a church would keep our eyes upon Jesus Christ. I pray that we as a, as a town, as a community, would start to see our Savior, Jesus Christ, as the lampstand holds high the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for some in this room that do not know you. I pray that today in the picture of Jesus, they couldn't turn their way again. They couldn't walk out of here and not have settled it today. I pray that today they respond in faith and they're saved. Lord, I, I pray that you stir in their hearts. Lord, I pray for us as a church today that we would take serious the call of, of being a lampstand in a world that's increasingly pushing in in darkness. And then I pray as your people, we would be completely amazed at our Savior, Jesus Christ. We love you, Lord. We praise you. We worship you. We thank you. We submit this to you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.